Scripture tells us that the Word of God is living and active. And, uh, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to division of joints and marrow, and soul and spirit. So it may surprise you to know, but when we stand up and preach, we want God's Word to do that. It's a scary thing, you know. Because if God's word does what the scripture says it does, then you might be pierced down the middle today. Your soulishness and your spirit divided. You might find yourself face to face with the one with whom you have to do in ways you never expected. Now when you come to church and open your heart to the word of God, is this what you want? Or would you just like the minister to get finished as quick as possible? Heavenly Father, your word is living and active. Not mine. Your word, Lord, is sharper than any two-edged sword and it does divide soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Your word strikes us in the heart, cuts us down and builds us up. Please, living God, speak to us today. Please, living God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, by now you're familiar with the words I'm going to read. But here they are again from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the armor of god so that you so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. I guess in modern warfare uh, there's technology as well and Paul goes on to say this and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for the Lord's people. 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, my words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We need the walkie-talkie or the cell phone of prayer to go with our armour, praying at all times. When I was a new Christian, these words were brought to my notice. Um, I had been employed for a long time and then, with my conversion, wanted to work. And so the department uh, that looked after uh, what do we call it in those days, the labour exchange, gave me a job with the, um, what was then known as supplementary benefits. And I got on a tube train every morning at Brixton and travelled to Victoria, where the office was. And once people had showed me this piece of scripture, every morning, <clears throat> on the way to work, I mentally put on every piece of this armour. Can't say as I understood it perfectly, but I put it on. Because I worked in an office which was probably just like any other office, like your office. There were people that were brazen and dirty in their mind. There was a woman there who was horribly nice and cynical behind your back. Uh, the kind of people that you're aware of because they work in your organization as well. <clears throat> and for a new Christian, it was very hard. I needed my head covered because of all the alien things that came into my brain. I needed my heart covered because of all the ways that, 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 that things tempted and attracted the heart. I needed my feet shod so that I could step right in this place. So I put the armour on. Do you? When you go to work, at the traffic lights, on the bus, in the train, on the plane, you've been hearing about it for two or three weeks, do you put the armour on? Each piece put on by prayer. There's a hymn we don't sing anymore, um, probably because it's a militaristic kind of hymn. But I love it, sorry. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it mustn't suffer loss. And verse 3 says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armour. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. Do you put your armour on or do you just hear about it on Sundays? Well, you know the subject today because we've had a race. <clears throat> armour. I hope it struck you that armour that we're talking about here is not for ceremony. This is not ceremonial. 
It's not for looking good and parading with medals. This is an armour which is intended for active service. When Paul tells you and me to put it on, he's assuming that you and I are in the active service of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that that active service is is being carried out in the world where we live every day. From our own home to the office or wherever. You will also have noticed and probably be fed up with people pointing out to you that this armour doesn't have anything for the back. In other words, the Roman soldier and the Christian soldier armed for active service is not expected to turn his back on the enemy. But to be brave and go for it, uh, there's no place for Christian cowardice in this army of God, to which he's called you and me. Paul, in his description, as you know, is following the pattern. We've got a picture there. Let me just show you, since uh, it's a nice one. Showing the pattern of armour that was used by the Romans. Today, we're looking at the shoes. They're the ones on his feet. There's only one weapon there. All the rest is for protection. And it's intended to encourage confident engagement. Armour which is specifically designed to enable the soldier to enter into engagement and to follow orders as easily as possible. These shoes were made of strong leather. Surprisingly, they were of a sandal kind, which you'd hardly expect. But they were made of strong leather, like sandals, because these soldiers had to go on long, forced marches from one place to another. And they were specially designed to allow the flow of air through them, lessening the likelihood of blisters and other debilitating feet problems. They also often had hobnails in the soles because this strengthened the shoe and made it longer lasting, but it also enabled them to encounter all kinds of terrain, whether that was rough terrain or slippery terrain or whatever. These shoes were intended for active service. Now, the armour that we wear, remember, we're not fighting against human people. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. We're in a spiritual warfare. And the armour which Paul asks us to put on is to protect us against spiritual assaults and spiritual enemies to enable us as soldiers of Christ to be pulling down 
the strongholds of the enemy and liberating men and women who have been held in bondage, in the bondage of sin. We are a liberating army, not a conquering army over people, but an army that is here to liberate people for God. And in this warfare, we have an enemy who blooming well doesn't want anybody liberated. He's the God of this world and he wants them serving him. Personally, I don't go so much on the message as Pete does. But I do love this quote from Eugene Peterson as he paraphrases what we read together today. He says, truth, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, etc. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. That's great, isn't it? We have been told to put on the shoes of readiness. Having put on the shoes on your feet with the firm footing of the good news of peace. This is our protection. This is what we wear on our feet. The preparation of the good news of peace. That's what we wear. How does that that then protect our feet? Well, we'll have to look at that in a moment. The first thing, however, is to put them on. The Greek here is quite specific, it seems to me. It uses words which says, having bound them onto your feet. In other words, they're not in the locker. They're not spread out in the front there in case you want to wear them. This is armour to protect you in the spiritual warfare which you're going to be engaging in tomorrow and the day after. So put it on. Put on truth, righteousness, and today peace. The good news of peace. I'm going to stop for a moment, and I'm assuming you've got a Bible in your hand or near you. I'm going to ask you together just to flick through. That's all I'm asking you to do, to flick through the opening passages to the letters in the New Testament. That's all. Just the opening couple of verses. You just flick your eyes across them, and then just share with one another what seem to be recurring themes.
Just the opening greetings. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you've got time to go and get your Bible and do it yourself. Is anything becoming obvious to you? Would somebody like to shout it out? Grace and peace? Does it come quite a lot? Yes? Peter does it. Paul does it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over again, this is the greeting. The great hope of salvation for the Jews of the Old Testament was that God would bring shalom to his people. Reconciliation for his people. God would bring the shalom that makes people whole. The Messiah was to be called the Prince of Peace. You read Isaiah chapter 11 and you see that the outcome of the mission of the Messiah is is this great universal shalom which is shared by man and beast and nature. He came to bring peace and we're told in Isaiah chapter 9 that of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. This means that right now, today, as we consider the good news of peace, God is willing that his government should increase in your heart and mind and in our corporate um, being together and that peace should be multiplied to us. Which is why Jesus, when he sent out the 70 and he sent them out into all the towns and villages where he was about to go, said, when you enter our house, say, peace be to you. And when he was risen from the dead and when he appeared to them in the upper of the room, the first thing he says, peace to you. Peace to you. And again he said, and peace to you and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be the bringer of this and the, and the nurturer and the establisher of this peace to you. And when he was talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, my peace I give to you. The Prince of Peace came to bring peace between us and God and bring peace in our own being. Unite my heart to praise your name, said the psalmist. Unite me in my own being. So the salvation which God brings is a salvation which reunites our physical lives with with his spiritual expectations and we become complete people. And it's a peace which he makes between himself and us so that we are at peace with God and God is at peace with us and that we know that therefore when he says, Lo, I am with you always, he is with us always. You understand? That we have peace and confidence. With God in all circumstances. This peace is the peace of reconciliation. We don't like talking about sin. 
But you only have to look at the headlines and the news. You only have to listen to the conversations around you or spend a couple of minutes looking at EastEnders or something like that. And you realise that this world is absolutely cracked up with sin. This world is in a mess of hatred and jealousy and adulteries and lies and deception and murder and cynicism. And the problem is it's got hold of us too. Because all we, like sheep, have gone astray and all we have turned, did turn, each of us to his own way. There's a famous quote in Judges, I think it's Judges, uh, which says, um, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound like the 21st century in the West? Now then, this condition of man has been in man since Adam and Eve, however it happened, first disobeyed God. And there was a break in relationship. Adam and Eve hid from the Lord that they'd readily walked with every day since their creation. And they hid from him out of shame because before his presence and glory they felt their nakedness and sin and shame. And so between God and man there's been a fracture. And God purposed right back then that the Satan who had deceived them would one day be crushed under man's heel. And he purposed to send a saviour, a man, so that through this one there might be reconciliation. And this one is Jesus. And he's come to bring reconciliation and a joining up and a renewing and a homecoming. Without God in this world, there is no peace. There is no peace to the wicked. Now we read in 2 Corinthians that God, through Jesus, reconciled himself to the world. Here's a remarkable thing about the good news of peace. When we can't reach out to God because of our condition, God has reached out to us. Now you know this, but have you taken it on board? The God who is so utterly insulted and humiliated by our sinful action, that God himself in Christ reached out to reconcile himself to this world. And how did he do it? 
He made him, Christ, who was without sin, to be sin for us. And all I'm doing is quoting the scripture here. Him who is without sin to be sin for us. God reconciling himself to us. Now, this seems to me to be absurd in a human context, but this is the extraordinary nature of the only God we know who acts like this. Reconciled himself to us, not counting our sins against us. Think about that. Think about when you were at school and you did something and your teacher wouldn't let it go. Or you did something to your brother or sister and they wouldn't let it go and still you meet them and still they're nagging you about it now. Or how you might have been to people. But in order to reconcile himself to us, he made him who was without sin to be sin. That means that your sin has become and been made and attributed to Jesus. And he's not counted it against you. That's fantastic good news for people who all their life live in fear of death because they're disconnected with God. Now then, the question is, because we are to walk in the readiness, the preparation, the readiness that comes from the gospel good news of peace to be shod on our feet. Have you put this on? Have you actually sat down with an open and astonished heart, looked to God, through Jesus and said and you're not counting my sin against me after all that you know and I know that I've thought and done and said and imagined publicly and in private and you've not counted my sin against me because you made Jesus to be sin in my place So that through his blood, you have made peace for me with you. How awesome is God? How beautiful. And how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring this good news. But to walk on the mountains and bring this good news, we have to be shod with the preparation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, salvation, peace, truth, these are not just words. 
We have to learn how to use them. But we use them by taking them on. Thank you, God. I'm so glad we sang that song beforehand, Waiting for You. I'm so glad. And do you know there's a word in it which just... It's the word Alleluia. And it's just the way we sang it today. It brought the Alleluia out of me again. I'm sitting here being all anxious about preaching. But it brought the Alleluia out of me again. Because he hasn't counted my sin against me either. And I can speak to you as one who has this peace. And it's not because of anything we've done to deserve it. Do you have peace with God? Have you this week, today, actually sat down and allowed the Spirit to examine your life, your thoughts, your attitudes? And allowed yourself to be ashamed before God and then astonished by Him? As he says to you, you shouldn't have done that, but I'm not counting it against you. What I promised in my son is still real to you. I have reconciled myself to you through my son Jesus. Now you be reconciled to me. Are you reconciled to God? Hallelujah. We're in a spiritual warfare. We have spiritual enemies that attack the mind and the spirit. Our spiritual enemies eat away at our conviction and our endeavor. Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, according to Jesus. He's an accuser. A guilt chucker of the brethren. He's a tempter, and this is my word, not the Bible's, but I just wrote down tempter and snide. Then I thought I'd better look up the word snide to make certain I really do know what it means. Our enemy is a snide. He disparages us, he's derogatory, He's contemptuous of our faith and our walk with God. He disapproves of our walk with Jesus. And he does everything in his power to trip us up. And he does this by attacking our mind and our spirit. Now then, when the enemy tries to trip you up, let me do a little detour here. One well-remembered incident. As I was going into my house when I was minister here many years ago, going into my house, a member of the congregation, who actually, I discovered later, was trying to unseat me from my role in the church, walked past me as I went in the gate and gave me a broad, wonderful smile and made a comment which grated a little bit 
that I didn't understand it. The smile was big. Now, later on, that comment rankled. And it wasn't the person that was doing it. It was some spiritual enemy that was causing this to grow and rankle in my mind until it just began to overwhelm me, but not till the next day as it happened. Because the next day I was driving from Bristol down to Devon to see one of the students who had been here and had now moved and was in a bit of trouble. So I said I'd go down and meet with them. And on the way, in the car, it was a beautiful day, and I had the window open, and I was singing to the glory of God. Well, I hope it was to the glory of God. It was certainly a joyful noise. And loud. And then suddenly this comment, suddenly, like a dart, entered my head again. And I didn't realize it for about five miles. But suddenly, from singing the praises of God... I was damning and without swearing, cursing and miserable and upset and clouded because this thing just got inside me. Until I realised we're not wrestling against flesh and blood because my mind was having a go at this bloke. But we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Christ died for this bloke who had made the comment. And when I realised that this was a spiritual attack, then I began to sing Hallelujah again. Hallelujah, because I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. God is reconciled with me. The devil cannot ultimately rip that out of my life. And by concentrating again on the good news of the gospel and the fact that God is with me and reconciled to me enabled me to trample down that serpent and that scorpion. And you know, almost within moments, I was singing praise again. But it's by the good news of Jesus that we're able to trample him down. When you suffer accusation and contempt because you're walking in the way of Jesus, then be shod with the preparation of the good news of the gospel, of peace with God. And the peace which God brings means that you are an ambassador of that reconciliation. You are reconciled, yeah? Now he's made you an ambassador of reconciliation. So when you suffer accusation or contempt or laughter or mockery, remember you are reconciled with God And you're a minister of reconciliation. And I love the passage in Pilgrim's Progress 
where Pilgrim and his friend Faithful are walking through Vanity Fair. And all around them are the wares and the tables of this world's pleasure. All the baubles and delights that the advertisers try to get us to buy at PC World and nearly get me buying them. The only thing is I haven't got enough money, so you'll never win. But all these things that we're tempted with, and they walked through Vanity Fair with their eyes down, but they were noticed that they weren't dressed in the finest fashions. They weren't taking any notice. They weren't looking at the stalls. They weren't asking the prices. They weren't showing any interest in this world's wares. So people began to mock Christian and faithful as they walked through Vanity Fair. And then a little riot began. And then the riot grew, and Christian and faithful were then arrested as troublemakers. And they were put in a cage in the public square where people hurled insults at them and raved at them and probably rotten eggs and all sorts of things. And what did Christian and faithful do? Did they hurl back the insults? Did they say, you'll regret this, I'm a Christian, you'll go to hell for this? They were shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And instead of firing back insults, they blessed those who cursed them. And they prayed for those who used them badly. They blessed and did not curse, because for these people Christ had also died. And by their very manner, they exhibited the nature of reconciliation, because God sent Christ for them and doesn't want to hold their sins against them either. And so by their attitude, they demonstrated reconciliation. And what happened? Did they then become bitter and miserable and de-energized? No, they didn't. They were strengthened in their stand. And having done it all, they still stood with integrity, reconciled with God, wishing reconciliation for others. When disparagement eats away at your endeavour, we get tired, don't we? And it's a long, hard slog sometimes being a Christian, isn't it? Oh, if only every moment was another miracle. If only every moment we could see such glory that our heart just opened up in grateful thanksgiving. But it's a long, hard slog sometimes. The shoes which the Romans wore had their hobnails for the long, hard slog. In Philippians, we read this. It would help to look at Philippians and not Ephesians, excuse me. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will garrison your heart and mind in Christ. It's a long, hard slog. It's a long time since you saw a miracle in the place where you work. And your prayers don't seem to be being answered just now. But you're on a mission for your Saviour. And you've got the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well then, in everything, keep on praying. Keep on pleading for the people around you. Keep on bringing your circumstances, however however petty they might seem to other people. They're debilitating you. Bring them to the Lord. Because he has reconciled himself to you. And you're reconciled to him. And he did say to you, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you haven't known. Ask and it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open to you. And the peace of God which passes understanding will garrison your heart and mind. Even on that long, hard slog. Well, I see it's ten past twelve and probably I could go on and probably you don't want me to. So we'll just finish with this. What if this week, or last night, or even this morning, getting the kids ready for church, you tripped and fell and got it all wrong, and shouted at the kids and swiped out at someone and you feel guilty or whatever it is for you. Or you got uptight or you thought those thoughts again. Even if you did that, on your feet, if you were careful, you have the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now remember, you are reconciled with God because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. And he laid that stuff that today you're ashamed of or this week you've let God down with, he laid that on him too. Now, will you lay it on him? And make him the taker away of your guilt and shame and sorrow. Will you be reconciled to him? Because today you can go home knowing that he hasn't counted those things against you. But he welcomes you and says to you, grace to you 
and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, peace to you.